0: Hey, it's Chris Erb, and welcome to the TripleClicks Video Game Marketing Podcast. I've been around the gaming industry for a long time, and love when I get introduced to someone new with a fresh perspective who's about to do something big in the space. To me, that person is Venus Brown. Venus is known as an award-winning producer in the music business and worked with some of the biggest names, including Will Am, Justin Timberlake, and John Legend. But Venus is also the CEO of Buddha Tech and about to bring lifestyle and luxury into the gaming space like it's never been done before. We sat down and talked about his music experience as well as his luxury vision for the gaming space. I hope you enjoy the conversation. Venus Brown, the owner and CEO of Buddha Brown, international, really a global entertainment company with music, fashion, and gaming. Uh, it is E3. Thank you. I know you're busy out there. Thank you for taking the time. <laughs> no, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. I think this is a one-year anniversary when we, uh, when we first met it is it is do we have a cake uh we should get a cake you know there's someone who's gonna need their call out and i don't know if you're gonna have to say his name or i oh have to my name. gosh he introduced hold on.
1: us so hold on let me get it for you i would like to thank hank basket <laughs> for introducing us can, can you put some echo and delay on that i think he bought you like six drinks last night
0: asking <laughs> you to say his name <laughs> in the podcast today it's funny because hank always introduced me to, he's the nicest most
1: gracious person and he's always introducing me to people and yeah. i'm always like all right all right all right. And then, H- hank's a sweetheart and i gotta i gotta to say that, you know, I've been, you know, as we kind of just get through it, I've been involved in kind of the gaming world and the peripheral for a long time, but, you know, sitting down with Hank a few years ago kind of really lit the match for where we are today. So it's I'm joking, but... Hank does have a small, small part in like how this thing all unfolded for where we are today, and what Tech, the tech division of our entertainment company, is is uh, is embarking on right now. Which is funny because I
0: have zero connections with him in gaming. He just happens to be my neighbor, and he was in gaming, <laughs> and so it just all it all flows together. Cool. We'll talk a lot about what you're trying to build in gaming, but like, I mean, I think when when the people that know you, your origin story is really about music. Um, in the music space, I mean, you've done everything from A and R to signing, producing, representing some of the biggest names: William, Justin Timberlake, Quincy, Bruno Mars, like the John Legend. The
1: line was the list was too long. So,
0: <laughs> how um, how'd you get started in uh, how'd you get started in music?
1: You know, I started as a DJ back in. I'm originally from Washington D.C. area, a little town outside of D.C. called Alexandria, Virginia. And um, I used to listen to records all the time. And at one point, I was like, you know what? I'd love to be able to make this a profession. So just as a kid in junior high and high school, I started just hanging out around radio stations. Eventually, someone gave me a break. I got tired of seeing this little kid, this like 14, 15-year-old kid, Mm -hmm. hanging outside of the radio station. And this uh, on-air DJ, who's still on air in Washington, D.C. today, a guy named Donnie Simpson, let me come to uh, BET when he was also hosting a video show show called Video Soul. He said, let me come be an intern at the the video channel. And then I also got a chance to do a radio show on WKYS, which was his station. Did like a little public affairs show um in high school so my mom was really happy about 1 a.m saturday morning having to pick me up <laughs> from the radio station because i was too young to drive and you knew but, you were safe and in the right spot though so she liked it. as she a was parent right with, yeah i didn't, yeah. she didn't mind she didn't mind at all but so i kind of knew early on what i wanted to do and it was always radio and making and, and djing um, and then it came to a point where i decided you know what i don't just want to play the records i want to learn to make them like, I love it that much. Like, music is kind of infused in me. So um, at that point, I was like, you know what? Let me take this a step further. And I, on my, I believe it's my 16th birthday, my mom made a deal with me. She's like, if, you know, there was a keyboard that I wanted. It was 500 bucks. It was a Korg something. And 500 bucks might have been 10 million bucks to my yeah. family back then. And she said, all right, if you save up half the money on your 16th birthday, I'll give you the other half as your present. She bought that. She honored her promise. I bought the keyboard on my 16th birthday. And never look back. That's amazing. Yeah, it's
0: parenting moments. Like, yeah. yeah, that's just that's what you remember, right? All exactly. Stuff. What was your first? I saw. I can't even dig into all of the things you've done in music, but well, you know, I
1: said some D'Angelo stuff. I, it's, it's such a. I mean, I don't know how long this podcast is, or how how much you going to put you to sleep, but I'll try to be brief. Well, the first when when I left school in Atlanta, I went to uh, to to L. A. Um, got hooked up with a um, a group that was signed to MCA at the time. And um, got a chance to sleep on the floor. The classic story, like young group, signed to a major label, no money. We kind of moved around L.A. and tried to, uh, to make things happen. And um, so while the group was trying to get us up together, I started writing and producing for whoever I could on the outside. And just so happened, the first record that I ever produced that actually made it to the radio I actually won a Grammy. Um, it was a record called Feels Like Another One for Patti LaBelle um, featuring Big Daddy Kane. It was funny enough, her first Grammy, and she had been a legend for many years. Yeah. And so um, that was kind of the the thing that let my parents know, okay, he's not just wasting his life. He may actually have a shot at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from then on, you know how it is. You kind of network and move around and um, ended up hooking, hooking up with some guys. Uh, that ended up sleeping on the floor in a studio together, just trying to struggle and make it. And eventually... Those guys that I, you know, slept on the floor in the studio in Hollywood with, and we'd have to go to Bally's Fitness to use the bathroom because there was no shower in the office building that we slept in. Um, that group became the Black Eyed Peas. To, to make a long story short, um, so kind of accelerating, but it's you know that classic story of you know starving artists trying to make it. and Eventually, we made it. Um, and you mentioned D'Angelo, by the way. I I ended up kind of working with D'Angelo. I, I was signed to a label called Chiba. Yeah. Um, as an artist in the, in the late '90s, and uh, there was a girl named Nika Costa, D'Angelo, and these guys mm-hmm. and Stewart and this group Jamiroquai. Um, we were all part of that same family. Mark Ronson was also part of the same family, so yeah. it's kind of that's kind of my my family growing up in the business side. Yeah, and I know you're close with Will I Am, and I've seen all
0: that stuff. But let's talk about the the Duchess. <laughs> you, <laughs> well, like a, as a young, like as a young man, when that stuff hit, that was that was. Uh, in a spectacular album for her to break out and do that stuff. I know you worked on that stuff. What yeah. was what was
1: that experience like producing for Will and, and Will Am and for, for Fergie and, well, and the one, group? Once Where's the Love came out and the group just kind of, we, that was a third album, so the first two albums didn't do anything. Um, got critical acclaim, but didn't have a commercial success. And it was kind of like the last shot was that, that this third Black Eyed Peas album had to do well. At that time, because the first two didn't do very well, there wasn't a lot of money um, there was a previous singer who sang in the group um, that decided she'd rather go on her own way. Um, and then, you know, so Will, Will I Am, had to just find people to sing background on certain songs. And there was this girl, Stacy who used to be in this group, Wild Orchid, who was hanging out in the clubs in Hollywood and ran into one of the guys. And next thing you know, she sang on quite a few songs because she sounded really good. And eventually, it was like, well, hey, the girl that was in the group quit. Do you want to come and join? So she started touring, became a member of the Peas. And it set her up nicely for the Duchess. And at that point, uh, I was president of Will I Am Music Group. So I went from just the guy who had the the office building that we all slept in to now president of the label. Yeah. And uh, so the first record that we put out as Will I Am Music Group was um, was um, the uh, Monkey Business album with mm-hmm. uh, My Humps and all that stuff. That's great. And then Fergie's "The Duchess" was next, and you know, "Big Girls Don't Cry" and all those records came out. Spectacular! I mean, yeah. all of that, that the whole genre was so spectacular. At the yeah, program, so. to this day, that's so. That's my sister. I still executive produce all her records. Um, the Peas, uh, you know, Timberlake. There's a bunch of intersections with a lot of people, but it, it's it, music is still at the core of everything I do, and it kind of was the the thing that opened other doors and outside yeah. of music for me. Yeah, I know. it's
0: amazing. How'd you how'd you get connected with Justin Timberlake, and what, what's what's the path there?
1: Well, Justin co wrote Where's the Love. The brief but very true story is, um, again, we were working on that third album, um, which, which became Ella Funk, which was like, let's get it started, Where's the Love, all that. Hit after um, hit after hit. Yeah, we, we were working on that third album, and it was really a point where if this third album didn't work, then we were gonna be, you know, the P's were gonna be dropped off the label, no one was gonna be able to work. Um, the band themselves, the keyboard player, drummer, guitarist, uh, would travel the year with me. I would take them out with other artists so that they could make money while Will was trying to figure out what he was going to write and produce for this third album. Uh, while I was out on the road, I realized shit, the band's got a lot of good music. They got a lot of stuff that, you know, maybe it's not about finding music outside from outside producers. The camp is pretty dope. Yeah. So we came back off tour and I was like, Will, you know, you should check out like some of the guys in the band. They have some good stuff. Um, at the same time, we would go out to a club in LA. Um, Justin sees taboo from the piece dancing He's like yo I love the way you guys dance because they were pretty much known for like this cool street dancing LA scene And he made a deal right there if you teach me how to dance. I'll do a song with you guys mm. so we're like cool well Dancing on the dance floor Justin learn how to do some of the stuff and in the nights like alright. See you later That was cool. He's like no. Where are you guys going going to the studio. So he goes to the studio while he goes to the studio to meet Will and say, you know, was like, wow, I brought Justin Timberlake back. He said he would record. Well, where is this in J- Justin's mind? Has he done, He's
0: he broken out and had his first album? Man? He's had his first album. Okay. So, so he's it.
1: broke through and he's, he's, he's had the one of, sing, He had the first single out yeah. on the first album. So the whole album wasn't out. It was literally uh, Like I Love You. Um, yeah. The Pharrell okay, record was sure. the first one out um because it was bro- hard for him to break out he he's he's on that journey to get out of work. he's on the journey His first song out after gone was a okay. big record for the band and to make a long story short while there was a track playing on the way into the room where will was from the keyboard player and he's like well, what is this and it's like oh it's just a track that the keyboard player. that's not what will really was planning to play yeah and just like hold on hold on let me go in the booth and he starts singing, people killing, people dying, It became "Where's the Love," oh, and awesome. from that moment, boom, connections went on tour with Justin. And from that relationship, he and I became really cool. And he was like, "Listen, I'm going to work on another album. I'd love for you to executive produce it in A&R with me." And that became "Sexy Back" and Yeah, blah, that's all a all future that sex love sound, exactly, which
0: is amazing. How? So with the relationship with him, this marketing podcast, how do we, I know you're good at the marketing side of all this stuff. Talk a little bit about you're producing the album, but you're also bringing in the car companies and the videos and the tours and the business.
1: How does that side of the business work? Well, you know, it's kind of funny because the Peas were, like, the the happiest, friendliest hip-hop band on the planet. (laughs) So every corporation would come to us and, like, we need hip-hop in our life, but it needs to be safe and friendly. Well, we had a few happy songs, and we did a few deals. Uh, We did the first iPod commercial with Hey Mama. Um, We did, uh, when I say did it, the Peas records and the music, or even sometimes the group themselves. We did things with the NBA and all that. And it became, like, we became well-known as a um, corporate-friendly band. Um, So a lot of the advertising agencies that were wrapped around the deals that we did with these corporations all were very um, instrumental in in showing us, like, hey, you guys are good. You should pay close attention to this. You guys can not only make a lot of money— We get a lot of support in ways where the music industry started, the the, the marketing budget started to to see significant attrition, so we had to develop relationships with the corporations to get money to make videos, or money to, to support our tours. So we did like Honda Tour, and we did deal with BlackBerry, and we did, so that became our supplemental income to just be able to get our music to the people, and we then started to realize, oh wow, if we really work together to create amazing campaigns with these corporations, that's a whole nother business in itself.
0: Yeah, no, which is amazing. He, you know, Justin gets a little bit into fashion. You, you jumped into fashion a lot. I saw you've worked with some of the bigger names in fashion. Um, talk a little bit about Karl Lagerfeld. How did you, you get connected with Karl? And I know with his passing, it's, uh, it was a tough time. And so tell me how you got involved in there and give me a good, give me a good Karl story.
1: Well, I'll, I'll tell you, with, with Karl, um, it, well, it, with, with anyone, this goes outside of even fashion, you know, it's always the music is the core. And having success with artists like the Black Eyed Peas, Justin Timberlake, or, you know, a number of groups that I work with, um, they all want to dress your artists for the Grammys or for the Oscars or something. So, again, you make these relationships with fashion designers and and fashion houses, and, and, you know, we we like to think we're pretty easy to get along with. Um, They want to work with us repeatedly. Um, So, um, we did a lot of stuff with Fergie and Tommy Hilfiger. Mm. Tommy, um, it was at the time I started working on a project in Dubai where we're designing a bunch of collection of villas. And I wanted to reach out to Carl Agerfeld. And Tommy, who had just bought Carl Agerfeld's business with this private equity fund, was like, okay, I'm going to introduce you. So Tommy Hilfiger, funny enough, actually introduced me. Uh, and shout out to Tommy and Andy Hilfiger, who's my my, my guy there. Um, was like, listen, I'll introduce you. We just bought the company. You know, you can explain what you're doing. So I went and met with Carl and his team in Paris. This is about 15 years ago. And explained that I was working on a project in Dubai where we were designing a collection of villas, and we wanted Carl Lagerfeld and a number of other key designers to be a part of that project. Carl was very forward, you know, very forward thinking, and was like, "Yeah, I love it. I want to do it." So then, at that point, I, we did that deal, and we did a number of other deals. And uh, a funny thing about Carl, the first time I took him to Dubai, um, his team was very, you know, they're very amazing, right? And and we we were flying to Dubai from Paris, and. Carl's stipulation, he wouldn't go anywhere unless it was a private jet. So I got the royal family to send us their, their G5, G4. and um, But unbeknownst to me, Carl didn't like the G4. He wanted to fly in <laughs> a very specific plane, but his team didn't tell me about it. So literally, the plane's about to land. I'm in Signature in Paris, Signature Airport, uh, which is uh, Signature FBO, which is you know, the private air uh, FBO in Paris. And his one of his people called me and said, Hey, listen where are you? I'm like, well, I'm in Signature. This is the, you know, the g 4 is about to land. Like, oh my God, he won't fly in a G4 and on top of that, he doesn't ever want to go in Signature again. He had a bad experience and you need to have the plane land, like, next door. (laughs) So, so I'm like, you gotta be joking. Like, no. So, we get on the phone with the pilot, the FBO, we go next door, we finally arrange it while the plane's, like, in route, in approach to land at the other FBO. So, we get in there, and I'm thinking, okay, well, we're good. We get on the plane. Um, we take off, and then Carl looks around and realizes, well, this isn't exactly, you know, I, I, don't, I don't fly in plane the G4. You know I don't like the G4. And I just kind of thought it was a joke. And once we got up in the air, we started landing. We started with pilots come out and say, you know, we got to land and, um, to refuel and then go on to Dubai. And then Carl stood up and lost it. He was like, "We're he's like Venus. I can't believe we got to stop this plane. What is it? I don't understand. We have to make this thing. Uh, you know, we need to get there to Dubai fast and, and, and without having to stop. This is you know BS. I can't believe this. I might as well have taken a bus there." And everyone was kind of <laughs> looking like shocked and like holy shit. We were trying to keep him calm, and I had told his people we were going to have to refuel, but they didn't tell him. Yeah. And they looked at me, and Carl looked up, and I said, "Well, okay, Carl. We have a couple of choices we can make. One." We can stop, refuel this plane, and get to Dubai alive. Or two, we can just keep flying, and we can all die here today and crash on the ground. <laughs> you make the choice. All the air sucked out of the plane. And then he just starts laughing, like, oh, I got that. I like that. I like that. That's funny. <laughs> so everybody was like, Phew. they were deflated. like, All right, yeah, that's good. So Carl was happy. We landed. We refueled. And then I kind of didn't want to put his people on blast. And I told his, his people, I was like, why didn't y'all tell him? It was like, if we told him we had to stop and refuel, he would have never got on the plane. Yeah, they know how to manage him. They team. knew how to manage him. So, But Carl was a great dude. I mean, it's just one of 10 trillion stories of rolling around and traveling with an icon. It was a blessing. and But it really helped me understand his team, his Carl Lagerfeld, Chanel, Fendi team, is the most amazing tight knit family in fashion that I've ever been around, and I've been around a lot of them, yeah. and it really maybe gave me clarity on the back, the kind of behind the veil of fashion, yeah. which led into me then becoming president of Fashion Rocks and producing a lot of fashion shows around the world, music and the convergence of music and fashion, and. You know, so I learned a lot of lessons from running one with Carl. Which is a natural
0: fit, fashion and rocks, which I think gets us into where we're talking about today is is gaming and how gaming's fitting into music and culture and shoes and all those things. But I also think uh, fashion and gaming and kind of luxury kind of overlap right now. It hasn't been done right yet, but I, I know that the people who are playing games are also chasing the shoes. They're also kind of collecting that lifestyle. So talk a little bit about what, what, your building here with Boot Attack and, and kind of where you're, where you're aspirationally driving
1: this thing. Well, it's it's interesting. Kind of traveling around the world with all these entertainers. You know, you work for two hours a day. You're off for twenty two hours a day. And generally, what are you doing? You're either sightseeing if you have time, or you're backstage if it's a show day, or you're on the bus drive try, traveling and you you're, you're gaming. Um, so you kind of look at this and you say, all right, we're gaming on our off time, but traveling around with the stuff has become like cumbersome and very difficult because you got um, you know your your personal bag and you got your suitcase and then you're trying to carry your console and guys are dumping it like wrapping it into blankets and in clothes and sticking it in in, in whatever they can stick it in a backpack or something and um, so what I realized is what was out there for people that traveled and people that also had a certain aesthetic um, um, preference they dress a certain way they they take care of kind of their their um, their shoes better than they take care of their 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 baby sometimes, you know. And you know, I'm around the hypebeast hype beast culture all the time and been a part of it for a long time. And you're kinda of like, you know what? There needs to be something that speaks to this gamer. That they game, but they also they're wearing Louis Vuitton or they're wearing off white or they're wearing Supreme and, and they care about how they look, but at the same time, they also are moving around in a way that it that makes it difficult for them to continue to game so what buddha tech is is really about the, kind of the traveling lifestyle luxury uh, of, of gaming so we like to think we're helping to create an a category of luxury gaming on the go um, so we have uh, a lot of products that we're developing right now and and it's all with that spirit in mind that you know if you're wearing certain high street brands and this is male and female by the way um, we have accessories that fit and suit your lifestyle So you're not always looking like you're coming off of a spaceship <laughs> that you can look like you're moving through Manhattan or New York or I mean, or L.A. or London in a way that you know it fits your your super high-priced Jordans with, Like the ones you have on right now the uh, super exclusive off-white whatever whatever's you know So that that's that's what we're working on and I think we've we've we we're we're, we're we're moving in the right direction and a lot of smart people have said they like what we're doing Yeah, and the- there's a lot of people that are trying, that are chasing that,
0: trying to figure out how to do the, to to bring fashion or high, you know, high level luxury into the gaming site. And a lot of people are just doing it because they like it, as opposed to you're kind of within the world. I think you and I are working on a bunch of projects that we probably can't talk about yet. But I know that, you know, you guys are, talk about what you're doing next week. Um, you guys are launching in, in the UK.
1: Right. Well, I can tell you, we, we just did a project. I'll kind of talk about what we did this week. We had our lunch party here in in, in the States. and... Snoop Dogg, DJ, and, and we, we partnered up with a couple other brands to kind of, we, we really want to show that we're really part of the gaming culture. I think for us it's important, you know, there's a lot of luxury brands that I want to look and say, oh, there's a whole market there. Gaming, when you add music and movies and and TV and combine it all together, it's not worth a fraction of what the global gaming business is. We want a piece of that. Well, to us it's important that the luxury company is born from within gaming first. So that's kind of one of the... the, one of the, the, the Clear delineations between us and other companies. That this luxury gaming accessories company is born with gamers first. Yeah. Um, and whether the gamer's an athlete, an NBA athlete, or a soccer player over in Europe, or you know they could be a, a, a rapper or or just a, an executive that works you know in a corporate thing that loves the game on his off time. You know we want to make something that fits fits your lifestyle. Um, at the same time, you know we understand that when it comes to luxury. Um, it's bit, it's like gaming. Luxury is very insular and very particular. The same way gaming is very insular and very particular. So in order to cross both sides, you have to really show that you're really truly a part of both cultures. Um, and right now, you know, I don't know when this comes out, but the, the reality is, uh, the Virgil Blow, who's you know the menswear director for Louis Vuitton, will be DJing our launch party in Cannes this weekend. Um, I'm not sure when this airs, but... And I'll put it out quickly. Get, so, that, get that shout out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so we, we we were doing something cool with... with, with some other businesses that I'm involved in, um, and and you know dealing with sports and music and entertainment, and it makes it a lot of sense to have the right fashion people I mean, kind of bless us. That's what I, yeah, and that's what I'm
0: talking about is that cosign that you're going to get because I mean I think when you guys announced that GameStop was carrying your your cases and Akon and Fergie here tweeting game retweeting GameStop, and now we're going to do some we're going to do a launch at Cannes in Paris, and you you know Virgil's DJing, um, and it's the right people that are going to get this cosign because i think breaking into this space is a really hard space um even for someone like a virgil to jump into gaming right there's got to be a journey right right you just can't show up and look like a brand's written you a check and that you're here you got to show your authentic and show your you know you respect the
1: space you love the space you're part of the space and then okay then let's figure out what you're going to do in the space it comes down to the relationships i mean ronnie madera shout out to one oak um uh, we're doing the pop-up together in can at a and so because of like all of these relationships from music and fashion and then now you bring in gaming where everyone's paying attention to it um, and we're bringing in, a, a, you know, the, the guys in that world look at me like, okay, they've known, I've been involved in gaming a long time. I mean, I, I'll tell you this, is not, a, not a lot of people know, there was a point in 2002, 2003 where I used to live in Farnborough, which is about an hour south of London and I worked for this company um, that was developing GPRS location-based technology. And um, we actually had a big thing at E3 with a little handheld device that we did, and I was the president of a U.S. company, and that the 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 IP ended up getting sold to a company I can't really say, but it became a part of handheld gaming, and, and which the technology that we created mm-hmm. um, be, is still installed in, in some of the bigger game um, manufacturers' handheld devices, but. When I did that, I brought in Pharrell, I brought in Chad Muska, I brought in uh, Sal Masakela to help co-sign what I was doing. And then 2002, 2003, uh, we were creating like these mobile games. And um, you know, and if you talk to Pharrell or Chad or or or, 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 or Sal, who was you know obviously running Xboxes, you know, the face of excuse me, the face of the X Games. Yeah. And then you got Pharrell, who obviously is Pharrell. You don't have to say anything more. And then you had Chad Muska, at the time was the biggest skateboarder in the world. You know, they all trusted me when I came to them and said, I want you to be a part of this gaming thing that we're working on. Uh, the company ended up getting sold before we actually released the product yeah. because the technology that we created was so cool that one of the big boys just swallowed us up. So but, N.E.R.D. was in that sp- Like, they were ready for that. I mean, culture yeah, was, was culture you know, ready for that 16 base. years ago, I was in the gaming space, and then yeah. I, I got booted back in the music because the company sold so fast. But what's happening now is all of those relationships from all those culture movers, they're really, really ripe. To enter the space in a meaningful way and and I hope that I could be one of several people um that, that help them enter the space in a meaningful way.
0: Yeah, no, I think it's great. And I also saw I was when I was getting I was like doing my prep work for this stuff, I saw you guys did some stuff for Uganda, um, the Republic of Uganda. You guys were making tablets for educational purposes. Right. Talk talk about that just so people are like you're not new into tech. You're you know, I got you got the music stuff, but you're also got that philanthropy thing going on.
1: Well, I mean, if you know kind of what Will I am has been about for the last let's call it eight to ten years. He's been very well known to speak at Davos, you know, and 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 be in, in, in the tech space. We we've always taken a lot of swings at the tech bat over the years. I'm just going at the tech plate yeah. many years, and we ultimately you know we've had some successes and we've had some 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 things that we had to kind of pivot around. But we really took our lumps and learned the space and made a lot of great relationships. One of those relationships that I made um, was with the UN ambassador from Uganda. And uh, we started talking at some point several years ago about the need for, um, for for mobile educational devices, i.e. tablets, to kind of reach some of these schools in the outskirts of uh, of uh, out of the cities where they're off the grid. Mm-hmm. So my company put together a, a, a program where we deployed a lot of tablets into some of the places outside of uh, uh, off the grid, and it ended up being a really successful program. And we're, you know, I was just in Uganda over the holiday this past Christmas for for a couple of weeks, and we plan. I saw on those pictures of that right? This family. I, I need to go on that safari. With oh yeah, you got to come on you. the next one. I'm I telling know. you. I was texting you when you were there. I was like, oh man, man I got to, <laughs> I got to come. So spending a lot of time with you Uga- in Uganda, Nigeria. Um, I also happen to be on the board of Acon's company, Acon Lighting. Um, and the A-Coins, so we have a cryptocurrency city we're actually building outside of Senegal mm-hmm. um, where it's all cryptocurrency and trying to create one currency for all of Africa um, based on the kind of the whole blockchain cryptocurrency model. Yeah. Um, so I'm very active in the space when it comes to tech um, and, and not only just from a let's make money standpoint, let's make a product, but really like how do we do good and help a lot of people while we're doing well. Um, and so Africa particularly interested me because I think there's a a lot of opportunity to help bring a lot of those countries up in the in the tech space and and create you know, a whole other economic structure for the for those countries that that, that definitely can use it. Yeah, no, I think that's great. The space needs you.
0: I mean I I th- you know there's a lot of us that are passionate about the fashion and you know where I'm doing real small things and that stuff and trying to trying to you know bring uh, elevate gaming and that stuff so having someone with uh, with your background and experience and knowledge is really going to help kind of
1: blow this out where uh, for sale now at GameStop's right we have the pre-order and the excuse me with that with GameStop and Amazon it's called the Rover 1 which is uh yeah if you go to Amazon or you go to um, you go to uh, GameStop it's buda tech b u d d a h t e k um, Rover One is the first product in the R1 Messenger Bag, which is the, the the accompanying bag that allows you to take it around easy. Um, that is available now with GameStop and Amazon. Um, we have a lot of global partners that are around the world that are going to be deploying it at various times. Yeah, so, it's summer just a start right now. And uh, yeah. it's it's you know fortunately there's a lot of positive reception. Um, we have multiple products that you know beyond just the device that allows you to take your Xbox and your PlayStation and play it on an airplane or play it wherever you want. Um, And the accompanying bag that's commensurate with the quality of like a Louis Vuitton or a Gucci or something backpack. um, We have a a backpack version with a 19-inch screen built into it, all integrated, that allows you to carry not only your laptop and your your regular personal effects, but also has this screen built into it that allows you. And you can carry your console all in one, so you don't have to have a separate bag for your console and a separate bag for your personal stuff. That's even true with the Rover and and the R1 Messenger bag today. Um, and then we have other products where it's, you know, we have gaming glasses that are commensurate with, again, some of the high-end, whether it's the Pradas or whatever it is that you consider luxury. Um, it's about the quality. Um, the price points are still, you know, a little more premium, but they're still very friendly. Um, we have the, the gaming headsets. We have all the all the things. We have apparel. This the entire, like, what would you consider luxury? If you were to go in a, you know, a great luxury brand like Louis Vuitton and look at the suite of products that they make, we want to be looked at as that. But having emanated from the gaming world,
0: that's awesome. Congratulations, I appreciate your friendship. Thanks for uh, thanks for coming up here. Thank you, appreciate and it. I wish I could get to Paris with you next week. So <laughs> I, I, I told some, you, I got I, the Airbnb. I got a bedroom with your name on it. I know. I'm stuck in. Uh, I'm in Nashville next week, so uh, sort of like can. It's it's uh right. No, it's as important for me for my business. I got a good partner out there that I got to go do. But like, uh, we'll get the next one. So cool. Thank you. Thank you.